Hey everyone, welcome to the Work Friends Podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Brewaker, and I'm here with my co-host, work and real friend, Ainsley Stanley. This season on the podcast, we are pausing to remember and reflect. Remember the key people and events in the good and hard seasons of life, and reflect on God's provision, goodness, and grace. We'll hear from old and new friends, even some that are no longer living, about God's unchanging nature through it all. Today on the podcast, we're back with part two with Mel Cooknickel. Today, setting the stage for some of our episodes this season on Dead Mentors. We're going to look at why it's important to look to people of the past, to the church of the past, of understanding where we've been and how that should reflect the way we go. It's a fantastic conversation and we know you'll enjoy. So buy a new biography plan a time to hang out with your grandparents. Do whatever you need to do and enjoy today's episode. Well, welcome. Round two. Here we go. (laughs) Technically it's round four, but like we'll call it round two this season. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I am personally pumped for this conversation, for all of our conversations, (laughs) obviously, but, um, we are going to be talking about the value of learning from dead people. Ooh. Really, so to put it plainly, <laughs> is uh, what we're going to be diving into today. So um, I would love to hear, when did you first kind of discover maybe the value or the treasure found in learning people who are not living anymore? I, I, I think before seminary, I would have said that anybody that didn't speak out of my tradition, I would have written off. Um, so I found myself at seminary and and found myself sort of in a place where I didn't know what I thought about certain key things <laughs> and um, realized that I, I didn't have the answers. And a lot of the things that I was reading weren't giving me the answers that I was really, really looking for. And so um, I remember at different points reading different textbooks at seminary or digging through research for papers and and um, stopping in like a deer in the headlights. And I would just read something and go, what did you just say? Mm-hmm. It was almost like, you know, God highlighted certain things. And uh, so there were these three guys, uh, Gregory, Gregory, and Basil. <laughs> Sounds like a stew, right? <laughs> Two Gregories and a basil. And and they wrote back in the fourth century, so like in the 300s. And they would have been part of what we call now the Eastern Church, the Eastern Orthodox tradition. And um, I, definitely I had never come across anything that they had ever written. Didn't even know these guys existed. Probably actually never read anything from the fourth century before in my life, right? Um, so they were talking about how you know God often by coming to a place of not knowing. And it was a highlight moment. I just was reading this and thinking, what? You know, what? I almost couldn't even wrap my head around that. What do you mean not knowing? Um, and, And in the West here, we rely on our knowledge based on what we know. Like we can know this is true and this is true and this is true. And we have a lot of doctrinal statements and um, sort of uh, things that we just say, this is what we need to stand on. This is the truth. 
And these guys write about uh, how you really need to, to, if you really want to be brought into union with God, you need to be prepared for unknowing. And here I am reading these things going, I'm not sure if I get this, right? Um, And to me, it's a little bit like, do you guys ever remember playing a game where you would put your hand into a box that was, it was just big enough for your little wrist (laughs) to get into? And you would put your hand into the box and you would feel around in the dark. And then your mission was to describe what you were knowing through the sensations of your hand, rather than that object being in front of you and you being able to literally describe its color and its shape and its form and its texture and all of those things, you would put your hand into the dark and know that by touching it. And and it, this was sort of what they were getting at, the, the distinction between ataphatic, um, you can cut this only if you want to, but ataphatic theology and cataphatic theology. One is about how you can know things with your mind and reasoning and rationing and describing it, sort of like that. Um, and the other is unknowing, kind of entering into the darkness and being willing to be joined to God by unknowing those things and experiencing him in a whole new way. And so these guys were writing about this and it just came at the right time for me. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, I need more. I I need more. Where did these guys come from? And why don't we preach about this? And why don't we understand that over here? And, and, and yeah, I wanted more. So that really, I think for the first time, opened my eyes to see that, oh man, I I think we're missing some things. I would really, I remember one time saying to one of my profs, um, he was teaching something from the Old Testament. And I said, on a break, because I didn't have enough guts to confront him in the class. (laughs) Wait a second. Like, where did this come from? You're saying something about this. I've grown up my whole life in the church and I've never heard that before. So where did it come from? I was, you know, pretty um, cautious about just believing anything my profs told me. Right. Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Fair enough. Wow. (laughs) So, because I'm so smart, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) And, um... And he said, you go back to, to the fourth century and, and you go back to the early fathers in the second century, you go back to the New Testament. This is what they're preaching. And, and so all of a sudden my mind was challenged to see that, oh, maybe the things that I have been taught aren't all accurate. Maybe I've missed some things that should have been taught me that just haven't been taught me. Um, Maybe there's things that I'm missing that I have to learn from people who were alive in the second century that I don't, I don't understand yet. Maybe the church in the West is going to go through some things or is going through some things that other seasoned veterans of our Christian brothers and sisters in the past, they've been through and they, they can teach us important lessons from so it was a really mind-blowing, mind-stretching um, journey for me. Um, but oftentimes I found that I had made a lot of judgments. I hope nobody else does this. <laughs> Maybe you guys around the table aren't very bad at this. But I think, you know, I can remember a time when I was growing up that I would have thought that Catholics weren't Christians. Mm. I can remember times when I would hear about monasteries or convents or... Um, 
the early desert fathers, like guys who went out in the desert and sat on a pole for five years and, and learned about God. And they became sort of um, gurus of faith that people would go to in times of struggle and in times of wrestling with faith. Those are the people that you would go to. And I would have completely written them off. Yeah. And all of a sudden, these people, I, I needed them. I needed them for my own journey. And yeah, started to change. Yeah, it is so interesting. I think that it, it's one way you see sort of, I mean, I don't always love using the word secular, but you kind of see secular culture creep into Christian culture, kind of preaches this idea that modernity is going to solve everything. Mm-hmm. And I think when it comes to theology, we sometimes think that that is true too. But like, let's look back to 4,000 years ago, mm-hmm. to 2,000 years ago, to 1,000 years ago. Like, yeah, I, uh, that's good convicting for me is just like thinking that only what is new is really important mm-hmm. when there have just been so many people who have gone before who had closer accounts than we did mm. of all of these things and oof. Even in terms of our traditions, right? Because you think of how how young a church, um, the the Protestant church is only five hundred years old. Yeah. So that's pretty baby on on mm-hmm. the lifeline of church, right? Well, we can't. The, our roots are in the original church, which, if you go back to through history, the Eastern Orthodox Church would call itself the one true and only church. Because it was in um, the the about a thousand uh, at the at the turn of that century where the Roman Catholic Church split off from the Eastern Orthodox Church based on some divisions around how they wanted to date Easter and um, whether whether the the wow well, I won't get into all the details but they had their differences right their differences in theology and they split so the Roman Catholic Church split and then. 500 years later, the Protestant wing split. So, and and there, from there, you can just see, we just keep splitting. The Protestants are so good at protesting (laughs) that wherever we don't agree with each other, we just split again and make a whole new wing of the church. And I I think too, Ainsley, that it's, it's almost like every new split thinks, oh, well, we're the ones that are going to get it right. And we're the ones that are interpreting it correctly. And we're the ones who, through whom Jesus is ultimately going to build his kingdom or whatever we think it is. Um, that, yeah, we, th- we throw everything else out that's happened before. Not even probably realizing those are our roots. That's where we came from. It is convicting when you zoom out on the photo, the image a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And mm-hmm. I, I think that the thing for me, guys, was when I really started to realize that, that, oh, wait a second, I need something from them. I need to be taught this right now because of what the church here is going through. I need to hear this message right now. And I did a project for one of my for one of my courses that was looking at these distinct wings of the church and what what is to happen with them and what is happening with them. And you know, we're really seeing a huge wave of ecumenical 
um, mission where we're drawing back into one, all these divisions of the church. And um, I did this project where I, I thought, you know, we're all sort of like siblings in a family. The, the Eastern Orthodox Church is represents one, the oldest sibling. And I had these pictures of, I actually used my grandma, my mom, and me mm. as, as the pictures for this project. Um, but a really old and wise and mature and seasoned older sibling was the Eastern Orthodox Church. And then a, a younger one was the Roman Catholic Church. And then sort of a teenager <laughs> Was, was the Protestant church, and that all of them share the DNA of the Father. They all share the, the Father's warehouse of gifting to the church. And I thought, oh, it sort of feels to me like what has happened here is just uh, a death in the family, and each sibling has taken off with part of the inheritance. And because it's been dysfunctional splitting, it's never been on good terms that the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholic went their different ways. And then it wasn't on good terms at all that the Catholic and the Protestant wing split. It's a lot of murder and chaos and excommunication and brutality. And so because there's so much dysfunction in that, we just take off to our separate corners and we think that our way is the only way. And and we don't have the whole inheritance together. One sibling took off with the jewelry, another one took off with the furniture, and the other one has the money. And all of those beautiful treasures are held without us all seeing them together. And maybe, could it be that this is a season in time where we get to actually retrieve them and bring them all back to one warehouse where we all get to access them again and benefit from the Father's gifts to the church? Like maybe Paul really meant it. <laughs> maybe Paul really meant it when he was like, we are one body people. Or maybe Jesus meant it. Can you imagine if Jesus really meant it? Like he, before he even died, he prayed for the unity of the church. And it wasn't just a matter of him saying, okay, guys, you're going to have to play nice or nobody in the world will know me if you don't, if you don't play nice. It was also about, guys, you need each other. And the gifts that I'm giving you, the gifts that the Holy Spirit is going to give you, they need to be together for you guys to survive. So how do we do that? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, what are what would you see are the gifts that each one has, each sibling has? Oh, man, the Eastern Church knows how to suffer. I mean, that church, when you think about the churches that Paul started, some of those places, Cappadocia in Turkey, you know, the... Uh, I was in seminary, I think, when the last church bell rung in one of those churches that they had been overtaken and closed. And so they know what it means to live in a world that doesn't understand them. They know what it means. Talk about what the West needs right now. The West, who's no longer living at the center of the culture, the church is no longer the center of culture here. They know what that's like. They know how to survive. They know how to to move in those in those seasons and in those times. Um, the Roman Catholic Church, man, I have learned so much from so many saints. I, I don't know why we did not keep the saints. I mean, Protestant Church, silly, silly, silly Protestant Church. You threw the baby out with bathwater, you know? Mm. I, I, I think, so we've got a lot of water, but 
what have we got that's grounding us? Mm. <laughs> we threw out all the life. Well, we didn't throw out all the life. God did some very good things through the Reformation, and yeah. God's brought us, the church here, around this table together because of the Protestant Reformation. Um, but we threw a lot of things away, and we just need to go back with some humility and say, oh, oh, shoot. We really need this. We really need the teaching of all the saints who've gone before us. It's too good to lose. Mm. So how, you know, Ainsley, you asked how. I think it takes some humility. You know, rather than, it doesn't every teenager just have this sense that, oh, I don't need the wisdom of my parents. I'm going to go out and carve my own new way. And I, we're smarter now and we're better now and Guilty. we know more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was too. <laughs> and, and there's a point for most of us that comes when we go, oh, my parents actually knew some stuff. Mm-hmm. And we go back in some humility and we say, thank you for being patient with me in my juvenile attitude. And we, we pick up some of the messages that they tried to teach us all along through life. And maybe it's the same with the church, that we baby churches that keep springing off and dividing and, and being divisive toward each other, we need to go back with humility and say, oh, that wasn't. That wasn't very Christ-like. So that was some other God we got caught up with. Um, we need to, we need to repent. We need to turn, and turn back to Him, and get back to storing the Father's treasures altogether. Mm. The question that's coming to mind is like, how do you, how do you even learn like what to keep and what to throw away? Because I think you said that too. Is like, we threw the baby away with the bath water. When we split, we just we. We wouldn't fight. We just completely divided and it was like brutal and stuff. And there's reasons for why certain things split, you know, and think about, you know, things that have happened within the Catholic church and how they did things that you're like, Ooh, that's not, it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean everything is wrong. And so how do you sort of discern? I mean, maybe you can talk about your discernment process. Cause you said, I, I went and I thought, I don't, I don't know if this is true or is this weird or what? And I don't understand. And you know, what is it like to sort of process and sort of, yeah, I guess process through those things and like learning from these other traditions. Hmm. I think it's sometimes scary. Like I would want to acknowledge that sometimes it's scary when you come across something that doesn't sound like the faith you've been taught or doesn't sound like the ways you've been taught, it's natural for us to not want to touch it, right? Um, And I think maybe the only ways that those things are discerned over time Well, maybe a couple ways. One is there are orthodox beliefs of Christianity. You can read the creeds and have a sense of, oh, this is where we've stood on common ground always. So there's lots of creeds. Um, The Apostles' Creed, for example, or, I mean, I'd have to kind of look at what the names of them are. There's an Augsburg Confession. There's There's all kinds of them that give the basics. But you'd be surprised at how minimalistic a lot of those creeds are. Um, I believe in the Father. I believe in the Son. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. 
uh, I believe there is going to be resurrection of the saints, and I believe Jesus is coming back. You know, I'm just giving you kind of a, that's not the the words of the creed, but that's the basic gist of the creed. Um, so beyond that, hmm, there's a lot of room, isn't there? <laughs> And so we differ. We differ a lot, kind of like siblings. I mean, you look at your own family and you think of how different you are. The DNA is the same, comes from the same two parents, but you end up very, very different. And I think the church is the same. The church has always been planted by the Holy Spirit to respond to a particular culture in a particular time and place with particular people. And so to retrieve those, uh, to stand on the creeds at the same time as living in the tension of God's not changing here. He is still about the Mm. restoration of our world and he always is going to be. And so there's a lot of wiggle room there. I don't know if that answers your question. No, I think it's helpful. I, uh, yeah, I think it can just be tricky to know because I think what you said of like acknowledging that fear, because I think a lot of us were raised that Everything that ventures into asking questions can be a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily a slippery slope into into anything. It's just actually looking at is what I sort of inherited. Because I think that's another thing, too, is growing up in churches, you sort of inherit beliefs that were not necessarily verbatim told to you. Mm-hmm. You kind of pick them up and you read and you go, oh, wait, that's what that says? Mm-hmm. That's Oh, what you know what I mean? You even think about like just you learn things and you interpret things even from like biblical stories as a child. Mm-hmm. And then you read the actual stories in the Bible and you're like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not what I thought it said when I was seven. Mm. So so the picture that I have in my mind is of the early papas, the early popes who before the church split would have been centered in Constantinople, uh, Rome, Jerusalem, Alexandria, and there was at least one more around the Mediterranean basin. And what they would do when they didn't know what to do is they would get together and they would discern together. Sort of like the apostles in Acts 15, they didn't know what to do. All of a sudden the Gentiles were receiving the Holy Spirit and they didn't know, are these guys supposed to eat like us and dress like us? And like, what's exactly happening here? They got together, they discerned, they prayed, and they said, okay, well, Clearly, the Holy Spirit is telling us this because they're in, and they gave Peter the dream, and you've been baptizing them, and this is what's been happening. So this is how we know how to go forward. So the early popes, the early leaders of the church would have done the same thing. They got together, and they discerned together. So what we saw when the church started to split is that that no longer happened. There was a pope in the East and a pope in the West. They did not talk. They did not discern together. They did not have conversations and debates and um, sit at the table together. And what we've seen with the Reformation is just more of the same, right? Wouldn't it be amazing if in all of our differences, we started to get back to the table and we recognized, wow, there's a lot of different ways to understand this and interpret this particular piece. What if we give grace to each other around this table and declare that our unity is something we are going to fight for at the very base and that where God wants us to have a clear understanding, he's going to give it. (laughs) And where it doesn't matter, we can agree to disagree on the things that aren't foundational. Mm. That would be beautiful. Mm. 
I think it's funny that we got to this point by talking about um, people who are, have like we're living like in 300 AD, right? Like mm-hmm. what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would love to hear Mel, like we are going to be sitting down with people um, throughout this season and hearing about their dead mentors, like really to encourage us to um, pause and reflect on our own life, but on other people's lives. Like I really do think that we think we've come to this place where we think that we're beyond history, that we can't make decisions. Like they, like world war two, that was so long ago. And we would never, ever make any poor decisions like the, like the ones that happened then, like uh, a little more complicated Mm. than we like to admit. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. And like, for me personally, I'm like, wow, there's so much value in looking back. And so when it comes to dead mentors or people from the past and how you personally have been shaped and challenged, um, just talk about that. How has that impacted you? Not only for your faith and the, like, you know, like diving into the church and church history and all those things, but um, the saints, individuals, like who, who have been the people who have shaped you? Now, I would say there's so many, I can't even begin to count them. Mm. So at first it was people like the uh, Basil and Gregory's and just little things that were written in textbooks to make me realize that, oh, people think differently about some things and and they I needed them to speak into my life. Um, so throughout that kind of season of my life, I can think of um, Ignatius of Loyola, uh, Mother Teresa, uh, Catherine of Siena. Uh, then there were people like, and I remember reading a great big thick book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer early on. And uh, just, you know, he was World War II. So he hasn't been dead that long. Mm-mm. But the wisdom, the profound wisdom that I just, it, I felt like there were so many gold nuggets. Talk about the father's, you know, warehouse of of uh, beautiful gifts to the church. Mm-hmm. He was speaking at a time when he's speaking to the church now, still, and he died in the 40s. And um, so, so Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a huge one that I thought, oh man, to sit at his feet and just hear his wisdom straight from his mouth. And I'm really glad we have a lot of books, but he was definitely one that was really, really important to me. Oswald Chambers was another one. So similar timing. Um, Eugene Peterson, he only died a couple of years ago, I think, but he was one that, that I always wanted to meet in person. Um, yeah, that's just to name a few. And I love how like all those people, again, some I know well, some I don't, but all of them have like grown up in different times, different experiences, probably different beliefs. And yet, yeah, like God, God's goodness transcends our own experiences, yeah. right? He, yeah, he speaks to us in different ways. He's made us in different ways. God hasn't called us to be Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's called us to be, called you to be Mel, me to be Jen, you to be Ainsley. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just kind of sit in awe and wonder at, like how big and expansive he is. Like I I think for me anyways, looking back and studying people's life and their faith journey has allowed me to, to, to be more in awe of his reverence and holiness and all of this. So why do you think for people listening to this and this idea of like learning from dead mentors is a new idea? Why do you think it's so important to do that? I think we have a tendency to live in echo chambers 
Uh, when I think about even what happens online in terms of when you express interest in something, all of a sudden that is what you hear the most about. We also seek out people who are most like-minded um, in anything, in any kind of community. That's what we're really doing is we're usually seeking out people who think like us and who help us feel okay about ourselves. And um, I think there's a real danger in that, that we are probably lacking the perspectives to see whole things, um, sort of like just having your own little piece of the puzzle and you're never going to see the whole picture if all you have is just a few little pieces. And you can only see the whole puzzle if you collectively all bring your pieces back to the puzzle and you put them together. And um, I think that's really important. I think it's important right now at a time when the church is struggling with understanding how to be the church in the 21st century, that we stand on vast amounts of knowledge and wisdom about how the church has adapted and flexed and changed and uh, all of that throughout throughout our history. We have not been um, a church like this for that long. It's just that it's all of our lifetimes. So it feels like it's been this way forever, <laughs> but it hasn't. The church has always been changing. It's always been adapting and it will. You know, I think the beautiful thing right now is that even while things are changing, even while things seem to be falling apart for it, for a lot of uh, churches in a lot of ways, God is building his church. He's constantly building his church. So what is it right now that we need to re-grasp and relearn and re-understand from all the different people who've walked before us? Bringing the treasures home. Yeah, I think that's the beauty is that we can actually be okay with the fact that we're never always going to get it right. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. Because you're going to sit here and be like, and now that we have looked back and I've read three dead mentors now, I have it all figured out and I'm going to fix the church and we got it right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's it's, go. It's not like that, but we can actually continue to be like, oh, I have a bigger picture and mm -hmm. understanding and actually move toward, because like you said, culture is changing. Has, mm -hmm. It already has. We can, mm -hmm. I feel like people keep saying culture is changing and I'm like, it has. It's already. And it is. Before we can even nail down what culture is today, yeah. tomorrow it's different. Yeah. So yeah, that part is always in flux and God knows that. So he is going to design a church to, to preach the good news and to live more than just preach it, to live the good news, yeah. to become the good news in this culture. He's already doing it. So let's not miss it. Yeah. And we can, that, that might mean for us that we look different in 10 years from now than we do today. And that's good news. <laughs> that's really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, like as we're sitting here again, thank goodness we don't get it right. Jesus does so much grace, so much mercy. But it is, uh, I'm, I'm really thankful for the way that God has um, opened my eyes up. Even just, to, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface with some of these things. But it's like, oh, I see something new that I never saw before. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really thankful for that. And, and I think that's kind of been our hope and prayer with this series in general is that together, because it's not, it's really easy to think that it's like my individual faith journey. Um, but we together would be kind of discovering more of more of God's goodness and greatness and all of these things. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, what would you say like right now in this moment for us here in Southwestern Ontario would be some of the treasures from the past, um, whether it's ancient practices or things from the Eastern Orthodox Church or whatever it is that, um, I don't know, that you wouldn't, that you see as real gifts to hold on to now? Like, spe- mm. like what, what, like what's the application of all of this? Mm. That's a really good question, Jen. <laughs> I mean, I, I could just wing in it. I, I remember the first time that I went to an Eastern Orthodox church mm. and you walk in the door and there's flickering candles. And during the service, there's icon, there, there's an iconography wall across the whole front of the church, which just means like a whole bunch of gold and, and ornate pictures and all kinds of things like that, which to me is completely foreign. And the whole service was in Greek, obviously a language that I can't understand fluently. I, I can get some of the basics now that I've taken Greek, but try to follow a service. There's no possible way. And I, I'm reading this book. Well, not reading it because it's in, also in Greek, but the written material for right. the service is in Greek right in front of me. And um, but, but being a part of that service, guys, was like, oh, I want this book back all your senses there the priest comes out at one point and and brings a uh, an incense burner and kind of waves it into the people with the spreading of the gospel. And it was just like, we're all there receiving this good news so that we are prepared to go out into the world, carrying that, smelling like Christ, um, the, the light of the candles burning within us. You know, it's all of those, those images that are just so real. And then I go back to my regular church and there's no candles and there's no incense and it's just about listening to a sermon. Mm. <laughs> I think, oh, I want those treasures back. What have we done uh, that we, and I know why again, Ainsley, you referred to this earlier about how important it was that the Reformation happened. Like there was some really bad theology going on. There was mm. some really bad teaching and instruction. And if you go back to why the reformers did what they did and stood so, so strongly, it was needed. It was necessary. And the church from within itself wasn't changing. And that's why it had to, it, it, it became such a big deal. Um, but that is definitely one piece. Um, all senses that our worship, our, our, our life yes. together as a community mm-hmm. should be all of our senses and all parts of our being being met. And um, I think uh, the, the, pictures, the, the artwork, the creativity that goes into all of that. Again, um, there, there's some questions about what we worship and do we worship those things? Do we worship Mary? You know, there's some people that might look at the Catholic uh, way of, of worship and life, practicing the, the being the good news. And they say, well, why is there so much conversation about Mary? You know, we don't worship Mary. We worship Jesus. And I think if we listened to their stories about why Mary was so important, she's important to them, especially in the Eastern Orthodox Church. Their calendar begins with the birth of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And why? Because Mary was, she carried God in her womb. And maybe we need to come, to kind of come back to a place where we recognize that, oh, we become carriers of God's self into the world. We become vessels of him. Not ever in the same way. We're not going to carry in our physical wombs <laughs> that the presence of God. That's not what it's about. 
But if we could sit around the table with them and recollect the treasure of of understanding who we become as we embrace God's story and what he's doing in the world, that's really what it is. Um, I think that, oh, what, what, what pieces would I want to bring back? There's so many, Jen. Mm. Um, worshiping, being in community with all five senses and all parts of our being, definitely a big piece of the Eastern Orthodox Church. I can remember being in an Anglican church, and that's not even... Um, that much of a change for a lot of us. But I remember receiving communion at the front of an Anglican church. And the way that they did it was that you would kneel and you would, and it would be uh, oftentimes there's kneeling in a Catholic service as well. If you go to a Catholic service, you often are kneeling. And at this particular Anglican service, I kneeled at the front of the church to receive the Eucharist, to receive the communion, the Lord's Supper, whatever name you want to call it. And you put out your hands, you kneel in front of the, the the priest and you put out your hands. And can you picture that in your head, what posture you have if you do that? You are in a beggar's position, kneeling before someone who has something that you so desperately need. And the very first time I did that, I just wept because I realized, yeah, this is me. Like, I need you, Lord. I need you. And you provide in my hand the cup and the bread that I so desperately need. And so, I mean, little pieces, they're just treasures all over the place. The common book of prayer, guys, that led services for so many years and um, the practices, the, the fasting and the, uh, the prayers that were offered communal prayers. You know, I grew up reading that verse or having that verse interpreted to me. Oh, don't be like those people who pray the same old words over and over again. I don't even know where that is in scripture right now. Um, but in the gospels, when Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, he says, don't pray like that. It's probably in Matthew. Um, don't pray like that. Pray like this. You, you know, talk to the Father. And um, and uh, so I would have thought that, oh, you don't use those common prayers. You don't use prayers that everybody prays. Mm-hmm. You just talk to him. You, you say whatever's on your heart. That, <laughs> and now I read those prayers. Probably daily I read one mm-hmm. of those prayers. And they are so rich. When I think about the hundreds of years that those prayers have been offered up to God, I mean, that's what we do when we read the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Those true. are dead mentors. Mm-hmm. The disciples are our dead mentors. <laughs> They're yeah. people that we read all the time to teach us about how to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's like our voices kind of join the hundreds of thousands of mm-hmm. other people who have prayed those prayers before us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, it fights that notion that our faith is my faith individual like yes like I've made that decision to follow Jesus right Mm -hmm. like it's not taking the onus off of us um for our part but yeah even like I just think of like the prayer Saint Francis the first time I read that oh my goodness you don't know what that is pause this episode right now and google (laughs) literally the prayer of Saint Francis and take time to read it and to sit in it it's so rich um but yeah, it's like our voices are rising up as a collective mm-hmm. worship to to God. Yeah. That blows my mind. Mm-hmm. It really blows my mind. 
the richness that yeah. is found in that. I think discovering the richness is really like, even mm. as you're talking, because I, I went to Catholic school and I remember like when I was there, I, I did not understand it at all. And now as I get older, I notice things I've picked up from it. And I think, oh my goodness, for one, one funny one is um, our boss, Kevin. Sometimes when he reads a scripture, he'll say the word of the Lord. And when they say that at the Catholic during mass, everyone says, thanks be to God as like a repetition. And I still in my head say, thanks be to God. At first I kind of laughed. <laughs> and then I was like, no, like, thanks be to God. Mm-hmm. Thanks be to God. And that corporate response to things or the incense, I know what you mean. And I never, I never even realized what an impact your senses have on you until I went to the Catholic church to donate blood Mm -hmm. and I walked in and I don't know what it was, but I somehow was over kind of more, you can't really smell it from the hallways, but if you go into the sanctuary area Mm -hmm. and I went in and I took one smell and I was like, (gasps) and you're just, you're just brought back. Mm -hmm to to mass like it's it, it it was really powerful like I was like oh my goodness like you know not to any particular experience but just that realization of like oh my goodness like that stored memory mm-hmm. is so much deeper because of how it affected all of my senses mm-hmm. and I think understanding some of those things I I I think wow plus when you talk to people of those faith or have been in those faith and you realize wow, like there is richness here. And it, mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I, I mean, I don't go to mass often or we haven't been in years, mm-hmm. but I can still appreciate some of those things that are part of that tradition that bring me closer to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's like, oh, the things that I used to just kind of deem as like religious or legalistic or, or whatever. foreign, like or weird. Or foreign or dead religion. I'm like, oh. Jen, don't be so quick to label things. Mm-hmm. You actually aren't right mm-hmm. a lot of the time when it comes to that. <laughs> <laughs> and thank goodness for that. But mm-hmm. yeah, finding new life in some of those things that I used to think that were just kind of hollow, but really are, are really deep and rich. There was one thing I was thinking about, guys, when you were talking about the disciples and how uh, one of you made a comment about it's not about me and my faith. Mm-hmm. Jen, that was you. And then um, we don't just get it right. This was Ainsley's comment. We don't just get it right and then, oh, now we've got it right and we're good to go. <laughs> yeah. The whole story, the way they write it, whether it's the people of Israel or the disciples in the New Testament or Paul, they're always describing, we didn't get it right. We didn't get it right. If you're reading the the Lent series right now, the whole journey toward Jerusalem is the disciples repeatedly getting it wrong. So here's the followers of Jesus getting it wrong daily and being in a place where they're teachable. Mm-hmm. What if that's our example of discipleship? <laughs> oh, yeah, got it wrong. Yeah, but we're still following. We're still learning from you. We're still putting ourselves in a position where we want to get it better the next day. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's such a beautiful picture. Yeah. As we're open to being taught, Jesus is going to teach us. And a lot of times it's going to be a challenge and a conviction and a rebuke. And <laughs> maybe even for some of us Peter types, a get behind me, Satan. You are not seeing this the way that God sees. Yeah but it's good and he knows where he's leading. 
Just follow. Let's go. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We have more amazing conversations every single Monday. So on whatever platform you're using, mainly Apple and Spotify, according to our analytics. So follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're on. And uh, yeah, if you want more info and resources, check us out on Instagram or Facebook at Just Work Friends. And until next time. Bye. Also, too, if you are an American and you listen to the podcast, reach out to us because we're just curious about who you are. And actually, now it's like a mission. Like I had somebody else say to me this week. So did you ever find out who those people from the States were? No, we didn't. And I said no. So whoever you are, please enlighten us. We're not that even scary. We're not that even scary. (laughs) 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 Okay, bye-bye for now. Bye.